Hollywood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, have you ever purchased something uh, and then never got it out of the box? Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever bought something thinking fully, I'm going to use this, I'm going to utilize it, I need this, and then never got it out of the box? Maybe it's a a piece of fitness equipment. You know, you're you're sitting uh, in, in bed late at night. Um, thinking you really need to exercise, and on comes the Nautilus ad, and you're thinking, I need that. If I had that in my house, I would be buff in a month. And you you buy it, you order it, it comes, it sits right in your garage. It looks beautiful, and you've never used it. Have you ever bought something and never got it out of the box? Maybe this happened when you got married. Uh, Sometimes when people get married, you know, they, they get that little gun, and they go to Bed Bath & Beyond. This is the way it happens now. We had to, like, write it down back in the old days, but they have a little gun now. They can go around the store and scan things and say, I want this, and I want that, and they go around, and they see this platter, and they go, you know what I really need? I really need that platter, or I really need that picture, and they they scan that thing, and they ask for it, and they want it, and then somebody buys it, and it comes to them, and you know where it lives? In the box it was given to them in the back of their closet, um, this is what happened. If you just gave a, a platter or a pitcher this summer, I'm sorry, but it's probably not going to be open, all right? Um, there are things that we think we want, things that we think we need, that we buy all the time, and then we never actually get them out of the box. We never actually use them. Is that true for you? Um, it is true for me, sadly. And one example of that is that a few years ago, I got excited about the idea of podcasting. And I have a, a background in journalism in my undergrad, and I thought, you know, it would be awesome. It would be awesome if I had a podcast. You know, and I, I, could, I could sit at my computer. I could have a radio show that, that everybody would want to listen to. I could invite my friends in and interview them, and it would be inspiring and wonderful and, and all this stuff. And I got so excited about this idea, I even resourced it. And I, I found out that if you want to do this, you really need um, a good USB microphone. And so I, I went out and I bought this microphone. And you know what, where this microphone has lived? for the last while in the box, right? Uh, this microphone, because I never, even though I, I resourced it, even though I thought I wanted it or I needed it, um, it's never actually gotten out of the box. It's never been fully utilized. And even though there's all kinds of capacity there, it's just potential because I've never opened it up. Here's the reality for us. In, in our spiritual lives, We have seen throughout this series that that God has given us every spiritual blessing. God has given us all kinds of things that he has packed within us. But sadly, all too often, we leave the blessings of God in the box. God says that we're a new creation. God says that we're forgiven and we spend our lives feeling defeated all the time. We leave that gift in the box. God says, I want to use you in ministry. I've equipped you to serve, serve me, and I've packed that inside of you, and, and yet we feel so inadequate. We never endeavor to pour out our lives in ministry to others. We just leave it in the box. God says, I have 
purchased and bought for you unity among diverse people that you would come together and you would live out the life of the church in, in ways that are absolutely uh, unfathomable to you. You'd have community like you never dreamed possible. He, he has purchased that for us, and yet, sadly, sometimes we just leave it in the box. And we've got all of these blessings that God has given us, but we're utilizing so few of them. And yet the reality is that God blesses us not so that we'd have a nice closet full of things. God blesses us so that we would utilize them, so that we would use them, so that we would unpack them from the suitcase and we would utilize them in the life that he has called us to. And this morning, what we're going to see is that as the book of Ephesians marches along and we go from chapter 3 now into chapter 4, is the Apostle Paul begins to change. And instead of talking just about how we've been blessed in Christ, how we have been packed with these blessings, Paul now is going to talk about how we need to unpack those things. We need to get them out of the box. We need to utilize them in our Christian lives. And we're going to see that over the next six weeks as we wrap this series up. But we're going to be in chapter 4, verses 1 to 16 today as we look at uh, the first part of this unpacking. And so I want to read these verses for us before we dive in and, and look at them a little closer. This is what they say. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ." from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, in those 16 verses, we're going to see three things today about how we need to unpack the blessings that God has given us, how he wants us to take them out of the box and, and utilize them in our Christian life. And the first thing that we're going to see is this. We need to unpack unity. We need to unpack unity. Now, we see this in the first three verses that are found here. 
Paul begins and he says, you know, I therefore, he's going to draw a conclusion based on the theology, based on the doctrine of the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians. Paul now is going to draw some conclusions. There's some response that you and I need to have based on the truth we have already seen. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. We're to walk worthy of our calling. Now, what does it mean to, to walk worthy? The idea of, of worthy in, in this sense is of the same weight. In other words, if we have been blessed greatly, then we need a great response. If we have been blessed with forgiveness, then God wants us to live a life feeling forgiveness. If, if we have been blessed with unity that has been purchased for us in Christ, which is exactly what was described in detail in chapters 2 and 3, if we've been blessed with unity in the church, then the response that we're to have, the, the worthy response, the of same weight response to that unity that Christ bought is for us to live in unity within the church. That was our calling. Our calling is a collective calling. Our calling is together to live out the unity that we have been given in Christ. And the fact that he is speaking specifically here of unity within the church is seen by what he talks about next. Because when he calls them to live a life worthy of their calling, of the same weight of their calling, he immediately starts talking in terms of, that makes sense as you apply unity within the church. Look at what he says. First thing he says, if we are to live a life of unity within the church, consistent with our calling, we need to exhibit humility, living it with all humility. Now, what does humility mean? Humility means that we don't think of ourselves more highly than we should. Humility means that we place others before ourselves. A humble attitude seeks to put others before us. Um, that's an attitude that promotes unity, doesn't it? That kind of, of selflessness, that kind of humility. We're supposed to exhibit that. He goes on, not just humility, but he also says that we're to exhibit gentleness. Now, what does gentleness mean? Uh, the word gentle here uh, could also, is also translated other parts of the New Testament as meek. Um, and both of those words sound like really soft words, don't they? They, they? Gentle and meek, they sound like something that is absent of power. But the biblical idea of meekness or the biblical idea of gentleness is not an absence of power. It's power under control. Uh, this was a kind of term that would be used of something like medicine. Medicine is powerful, but it's power under control. Think about what medicine is. It's a combination of chemicals that are very powerful. If they're used inappropriately, they could lead to death. That's why when you watch commercials about medicine, they, they terrify us, don't they? There's 10 seconds of how wonderful this is. There's people like playing in the park and running and jumping and just experiencing all kinds of relief from whatever they're suffering from. And then there's 20 seconds of how this is going to kill you. Um, and then you're supposed to go out and buy it. I, I don't understand the, the, the mentality, but that's the, the way that it works, right? Because medicine is very powerful. But medicine used properly is power under control. We might use it also of wind. Uh, we're familiar with tornadoes around here, aren't we? A tornado is, is, is power, but it's power out of control that leads to destruction. 
But you take that same wind and you control it through a wind turbine or through a sail, and you could power a boat or bring light to your home. See, gentleness is power under control. And the idea here of what Paul is is getting at is that as believers in Christ and as people who occupy a number of different roles in our life, we could demand things from people. We could demand things from them. Because if you're somebody that has anybody report to you in your job, you could demand things from them. But gentleness or meekness as you relate to one another is I'm going to take that power and I'm going to put it under control so that I don't kill them. Not literally. I don't think we have a collection of murderers here, but, but, but kill their spirit. I'm not going to use my authority or my power just in any way possible. I'm going to take it under control, under the direction of God's Holy Spirit. I'm going to apply it that way. If you're, if you're a parent, you, you know this. Later on in Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to see how he applies this, this principle within parenting, but, but here's just a little preview. It's, it's that we don't use our authority as a parent, our, our power as a parent. It's, a, it's not just power out of control to kill the spirit of our children. It's power under control to accomplish God's purpose in their lives. See, we're to be humble and we're to be gentle or meek, to exhibit power, but power under control, to build up and not to tear down or destroy. He continues and he says, not only humility and gentleness, but also patience. We're to relate with patience towards one another. This is incredibly important. There's no way to have unity between people without patience. You live life apart from people, you might feel patient, but you're not. If you want to know if you're patient, go, go live with people. If you want to know if you're patient and you just graduated high school, go live in the dorms. And then talk about what it means to be patient when the person next to you is listening to Abba at 2 in the morning. You have to be patient at times, don't you? you want to be patient then, then in, in your, in your engaged, wait till you're married. And you're sharing life at that level. There, there's patience that is necessary, right? You want to experience unity within the church, it's going to require patience. It's going to require that we, 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 we wait for one another because they're not going to move on our schedules all times. We're not going to do things exactly as we want them, when we want them. We need to be patient with one another. He says also that we are to bear with one another in love. You know, People around you, they're, they're different from you. You know this. And because they're different, there's things that are different about them that are not morally good or bad. They're just different. Their personality, their style, it might rub you the wrong way. Guess what? If that's true, you can think of somebody. You don't, don't say their name out loud, but just think of this. You've got people in your life like this. Guess what? You're different from other people, and there's somebody thinking about you right now as I say that. And you know what preserving unity in the church means? We're going to bear with one another in love. Because we love them, because we care for them, we're going to, we're going to bear with one another. We're not going to take our eccentricities and use them as weapons to tear each other apart. Bear, bearing with one another in love. And then he says that we're to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Eager to maintain this unity. It's, it's, it's effort. You know what, you don't go to a unity class and then walk out and then everything is perfect from that point on. 
You know, I, I've, I've officiated a lot of weddings in my life, and a part of that usually is some process of premarital counseling. You know, people don't leave a premarital counseling class and then never fight again. You know, you know what they need to do? They need to continue to eagerly pursue unity in their marriage. It's, it's an active, ongoing process, isn't it? If you've been married, you know that. If you want to maintain unity in the church, it, it takes, it takes a, a vigilance. It takes effort. It takes an ongoing process of seeking out unity within the church. And here's what Paul says. He says, these are are actions, these are responses, they're attitudes that are supposed to be exhibited among us. And and here's the thing, what what he's really saying is, I I want you to go ahead and, and take out of the box what has been provided for you in Christ so that you might use it for its intended purpose. I want you to unbox it. I want you to unpack it. I want you to live it out. And here's the thing. When we, when we hear this, when we hear these things, you know, you know what our temptation to do is? Yeah, that, those are great. I want other people around me to be humble. You know, I can think of a few people right now that really need to be patient. I, I can't wait for people to, to hear this message and start bearing with me in love. I mean, you know what, that, that whole meekness thing, that, that is good. I, I need to share that with so-and-so because I really want them to be gentle with me. Stop it right now. I'm gonna, it, it's bouncing off the back wall back to me. Stop thinking in those terms. Certainly we want to be a part of a community where, where this is exhibited by others towards us, but these commands are for you and these commands are for me. In Christ, we have been placed in one body. In Christ, there is unity that has been provided for us, and we are supposed to unpack it by exhibiting these kinds of attitudes and actions. And here's what's beautiful. I believe, if you know Christ, I don't think this is a pipe dream. I think this is a real deal. You know why? Because the Spirit of God resides within you. We saw that in chapter 1 in Ephesians And the Spirit of God wants to empower you. We saw that last week at the end of chapter 3. And you know what the Spirit of God wants to empower you to do? Produce fruit in your life that is consistent with the Spirit. And the book of Galatians tells us that those fruits are patience and love and peace. If you have the Spirit of God inside of you because you are living in relationship with Christ, then this is not just a theory. This is something God can unpack in your life as you depend upon him in faith. God wants you to live out unity and peace with your brothers and sisters right here, right now. First thing, to unpack our unity. Second thing, remember the ones. As you're unpacking this unity, there's going to be some core truth that we need to remember, and it's something that provides unity and structure to our Christian lives. And, and this is what he says beginning in verse 4. He goes through seven different things that he says there is one. There's one of this, there's one of that, and this is something that we have in common as believers. It's something that provides the structure to our unity. First one that he says is he says that we are part of one body, talking about the church. There is one true church. Everyone who is connected to Christ is connected 
to him in one body, in one church. That means that even though around Norman right now, though we are gathering in many different rooms to worship, if, there, if people know Christ, regardless of which room they're in, we're a part of one church. This means around the United States today, even though there are people gathering in different parts of the country in different time zones, if they know Christ, that we're gathering in, in one church one day. All around the world, people that know Christ and are living in relationship with Him, regardless of the language that they speak in their native tongue, they are a part of the same church that you and I are. Again, we know this because in eternity, we're going to be gathering not in little pockets of people, but we're going to be gathering as one body, singing the praise and worship that we sung earlier in whatever tune, in whatever melody, in whatever language God wants us to sing. We'll be enjoying that kind of fellowship together in eternity. See, we have been saved into one body, and that, that's a reality that we get to experience he says also that we are a part of one spirit. This is the Holy Spirit that resides within us. And it's not a different spirit in you that is a spirit in me. It's the same Holy Spirit of God that is in both of us. If I get crossways with Trevor, I can, I can have hope that we might pursue reconciliation in our relationship because both of us have the same spirit of God inside of us. And that spirit of God doesn't want to divide, it wants to unite. One body, one spirit, one hope. We have the same hope. It's a, it's a hope for eternity. Our chief hope is not just in today or tomorrow. Our chief hope is, is in eternity when the sinfulness will be done away with and, and the brokenness will be done away with and we will live life unfettered in relationship with God. That's, that's our ultimate hope. I, I got to speak at a prison this last week and do some ministry there on Wednesday. And, and one of the things that was a part of that time was we had a worship service on Wednesday night. And as we sang songs, I think we sang like eight songs, six of the eight songs had to do not with here and now, but our hope for eternity, our hope for heaven. I was thinking, man, this is wonderful because regardless of whether we're here at Wildwood or we're over in the prison church, we have the same hope. It's the hope for eternity, the hope for the hope that we have in Christ. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord. Jesus is our same master. It's like a parade. We're all following behind him. And even though we may be different, different personalities, different experience, maybe even different languages, if we're walking behind the same leader, we'll eventually get to the same place. It's like a parade because we have the same Lord. We're following Christ. We have one faith, speaking here of, of the body of truth that has been given to us in the Old and the New Testament. We share that together. We, we have structure here that we gather around and we learn from. One baptism speaking here of our identification with Christ, that our, our hope is found in our identification with Him. And it's the same for everyone who has come into relationship with God. Our hope is in Jesus. In one God and, and Father of all, we have the same Father. You know, my sister and I have the same parents, and that gives us something great in common. We have this unity together. If you've got siblings, you know what that means. All of us in Christ have the same heavenly Father. It gives our life structure, purpose, meaning. We're, we're, we're worshiping and serving the same God. You see, we have real structure that unites us together. And no amount of pressure or culture or anything that we go through can ever take that away. And that, that's significant. We're not just gathering around emotion. We're not just gathering around sentiment. We're not just gathering out of convenience. We're gathering around something that is real, something that is substantial. 
We're gathering around at least these seven things that are truths about who we are in Christ and what he's provided for us. You think about this in, in relationship to, to a, a snowfall. And on our back porch, there's a, there's a picnic bench. And that picnic bench, when it snows, gets covered with snow. And if you can imagine, if we not, didn't have like an Oklahoma snow, like a real snow, we got like a foot of snow, it would cover everything on the back porch, including that table. And if somehow, through some miracle, we were able to pull out that table, but the snow was a little crusty, you would still have the shape of a table, but there would be nothing holding it up underneath. And over time, that the heat and the pressure would eventually melt the snow and leave nothing in its place. And you know what? If our fellowship, if our unity was found only out of sentiment and emotion, that the pressure and the heat of this world would melt it and there would be nothing there. If it was based just out of opinions, then life would merely leave nothing for us to gather around. But these seven ones are things that we hold in common. They're real structure. The table is still there. Regardless of what we go through in life, we still have this to gather around. We need to remember the ones, the, 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 the structure that provides unity for us in the church. We need to unpack unity. We need to remember the ones. Third thing, we need to build up the body. We need to build the body. We see this in verses 7 through 16. See, Jesus, after talking about the things we have in common and the, the attitudes we should exhibit as we relate to one another to preserve this unity, some amazing statements are made about what God wants to do through us as we gather together in unity. It says in verse 7 that we are gifted by Jesus. It says, grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. We have been gifted by Christ. In other words, as you came into a relationship with Christ, God built within you certain things that he would use in ministry to others. He fashioned you in such a way to, to, to help somebody else in a particular way. Grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And the picture that is given there of how Jesus did that is this beautiful picture of a king who is triumphant in battle. It's one of my favorite pictures of the church is found right here in Ephesians chapter 4. See, Jesus, the, the picture of uh, verse 8 there and following is that of a conquering king coming back from battle. In the, in the ancient world, a leader would go out and he would win a victory, and when a leader would go out and win a victory, they would, they would come back to their homeland bringing the best of the land that they had conquered. And so you can imagine like Alexander the Great going out from Greece and, and going and conquering a people, and as he comes back, he's bringing the best from that land. He's bringing the artisans and, and the, 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 the politicians and the, the writers and the craftsmen the business leaders, he's bringing them back to his land as, as spoils. They will now be Greek citizens who will be contributing to the, the wealth of Greece and not of their home nation. They were captured in battle. And their role was to give gifts to the king. It was to, to give him things, to give him their best art, to give him their best ideas. That was the picture of a conquering king in the ancient times. Well, it's a similar picture, but it's a slightly different twist when it comes to what Jesus has done. It says that Jesus came and 
won a victory on the earth and then ascended back into heaven in a parade followed by those who were captivated by him. That's you and me, folks. We've been captivated by Christ. We've been mesmerized by his beauty, by his love, by his grace. We are captivated by him. We are are following him in a parade back to his heavenly home. But instead of taking us and demanding gifts from us, what does he do? He's the one given the gifts. He's the one given the gifts. What a different king. He, he turns and he gives to us gifts and he equips us. And the gifts he gives are, make us a person who is a gift. Look at what it, it says there in verse 11. It says that the, the people that he sends back to churches are apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers. The gifts are people who have been equipped in a specific way and sent back to the church for a specific purpose. And this way, as we have been captivated by Christ, the reason why we didn't die at the moment of our conversion is because Jesus equipped us and sent us back here. If you are here, a part of our fellowship today, it's because God has something that he wants to do through you in in this place. Not just receiving, not just owning in a box and put on a shelf, but he wants to do something through you in the lives of others. He has equipped you in that way. He has gifted you, and he has sent you back to the church. Well, why did he do that? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We have been gifted by God and sent to this place so that we might be a blessing to somebody else, so that we might help somebody else, verse 14, mature in their faith, so that we would no longer be children, verse 15, so that we would grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. We've been gifted by God and and placed within a congregation of people that we might mature one another in our faith. You know, we don't gather as a church merely to receive. Now, that's part of why we're here. We are here to receive. We are here to, to learn We are here to to reorient our minds around God's truth. We are here to to hear beautiful singing and and, and to to appreciate that. We we are here so that our children could participate in some great programs or our students could participate in great programs. We are here to to, to be a part of, of Sunday school classes or small groups so that we might have a relationship that benefits us in some way. Certainly, there's a part of our gathering which is where we would receive, but here's the thing. We don't gather here as a church merely to receive. If that's the case, you know what? We're going to receive a whole lot better in eternity. As wonderful as our worship team is, Greg, as wonderful as our worship team is, there's a better worship team in heaven right now. Um, no, no amen. Come on now. No, yes, amen. I, in one day, absolutely, right? I love our worship team. I love worshiping with our team. They do a fabulous job, but, but, it's, but it's better there. As, as good as your small group might be, your community is going to be even better in eternity. It just is. As much as we understand God's word, it's going to be even better in eternity. But you, you know why God sent us back to this place? 
so that we would sharpen one another, so that we would encourage one another, so we would mature one another. Joel is here to encourage me. I'm here to encourage Joel. That's why we're here. And you know what? We, we forget that. We forget that. We, we think that we're here to consume. And yet what God has said in his word is that he has equipped us to encourage and to exhort one another. You know, sometimes that is uh, in a formal way. Sometimes it's a part of a role as a, as a greeter or as a children's worker or as an adult Sunday school class leader or small group leader. Sometimes it's in official ways. Um, sometimes it is. But you know what? All the time it's in informal ways. All the time it's in informal ways. God has placed you here that informally you might encourage one another. You, you walked in here today, uh, some of you, and I know this because I've done this before in my life. You've walked in here today thinking, I will slide in and I will slide out. And I will not talk to anybody and I will not relate to anybody. And you know what? I might not even see anybody else from here during this week because my main objective today is to just receive. And you know what? If you're here, I'm, I'm glad that you're here. But if you have come into a relationship with Christ, then there is a whole nother dimension to your involvement within a, a body, a, within a church. It's not merely to slide in and to slide out. It's, it's to be a part of what God is doing here. He has placed you here that you might encourage those around you, those that you come into contact with, to mature in their faith in Christ. Just the sheer inertia of, of being in, a, in an environment where we're all leaning into one another and encouraging one another, um, that's what God has for each of us because we're a part of this, this one body that he is developing over time. Now, what do you do with that? What do you do with the fact that God wants to, to build the body and he wants to build the body through you? Well, one thing I think is that you just need to realize that. Just have it as your expectation that God wants to do something through you. And not just when you're in this building, wherever you are. God wants to work through you in the relationships of your life, in your family, with your roommates, on your street, in your workplace, at the grocery store, at the bank, wherever you go, at the health club, God wants to work through you in some way to build up the body. Have that as an expectation in life, formal, informal relationship, whatever. Second thing is, uh, don't wait for the perfect serving opportunity. Sometimes when we talk about gifting, uh, we, we start getting kind of freaky about it. We think, wow, if God gifted me, then I, I need to do only what I'm gifted for and nothing else. You know what? Your discernment's probably not that good. My discernment's not that good. I mean, how, how am I gifted? I, I don't know. God uses me in certain ways, and my friends could say, God tends to use you this way and not that way. Your friends could say the same to you. Um, but if we only are looking for one little sweet spot to do something in, then we're probably going to miss opportunities because the gifts are, at some level, we're, we're people that God has given. We're the gifts. And God is going to be the one who does it, and he'll do it consistent with who you are, but it might be in ways that even surprise you. So rather than waiting for the perfect opportunity, just follow the opportunities that God has given. If you know your sweet spot, go there, serve there, do those things. But, but don't wait for something that is absolutely perfect before you do anything because that's minimizing what God might do in the meantime. It's minimizing what he might do in the process. 
because God wants to build the body and he wants to build it through you. See, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He's blessed us with unity and he doesn't want us to just leave it in the box on the shelf. We all have learned a lot of truth. If you've been around the church for a while, you've learned a lot of truth in your life. There's a lot of good stuff on boxes in your spiritual closet. Go ahead and open it up. Go ahead and get it out and give it a try because God wants to work through you to be a blessing to others. Let me, let me pray for us. Father, thanks for today. Thanks for the opportunity to worship, to gather as a church, uh, not just to receive, but also to be used by you in the life of others. Father, so many in this room have encouraged me in my life. I, I, this is a message um, that is lived out in this place. But Father, it's also a message we need to be reminded of because we want to retreat back to consumers so much of the time in our mentality. We want to retreat back to, we want others to be humble. We want others to be gentle. Um, Father, I pray that we would be a people that would not be passive in this way, that we would be a people who would seek out the opportunities ourselves um, to live out the truth that you've packed inside of us, that we would unbox it and we would utilize it in life. And Father, I pray that as we do those things, as we uh, gather, that we would, we would also always fall back to the structure you've placed at the center, the, the ones that we saw. And one of those ones is our Lord who died on the cross. And Father, that we would just gather around that cross regularly, remembering who we are and what you have done for us. And we pray that you would help us to worship now as we conclude our time at the foot of the cross. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.